You're listening to What's the Difference podcast on Anchor FM or anywhere else you find your podcasts. To see the video version of this episode, head to our YouTube page. You'll find the link on our Instagram or our Facebook at What's the Difference podcast. Don't forget to let us know what you think on our social channels. Enjoy the episode. What's the Difference podcast, and this is going to be a very special episode because we're going to be dividing this into two parts. We're going to talk about something that is pretty controversial uh, for some people, something that has been on all of our minds for a while. Uh, But first, what we want to do before we talk about our topic is we want to introduce our new co-host, who is Sarah. Uh, Sarah, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm a friend of Sam's and got to know the rest of the co-host um, throughout this. I'm a person with a visual impairment or partially sighted. I'm in my late 20s. I currently work as a ECA and I look forward to being a co-host and throughout the rest of some episodes you'll get to learn more about me. I want to give you a big thank you for joining us because it's always good to have uh you know, some rotating cast members and have and get different points of view from different people. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about parenting and pregnancy. The first part will be about parenting specifically, and the second part will be about pregnancy. The reason that we originally were going to actually call this episode fertility, and then we were like, you know what? No, that's kind of misleading. The episode title that I would like, yes, we can have kids too, because that's the question that a lot of us get is, oh, you're disabled, you can't have kids, blah, blah, blah. That is so far from the truth. And I know in our last episode, it touched on the fact. People like us, like, what are your thoughts? Like, can people who are neurodiverse have a family? Can people who have physical disability, an invisible physical disability, have a family? And the the truth is anybody can have a family. Everybody deserves a family, as long as you're a good person, obviously. Anyway, so to start off, we've got a couple of different topics that we want to discuss within it. As I mentioned, people with disabilities can and should have children if they desire to do so. I don't think anybody's going to argue this point with me. (laughs) Other than sometimes people's uh, prospective parents' parents criticizing them or questioning them? Probably not. I think it's just difficult because, you know, you'll get like, you should just be happy that you're alive or something like that. Or you should just be happy that you have a good life, that you have a nice home or you're married or something like that. And, and so you should be satisfied with that. But in the end, you know, we still want families too. We still want our own kids. In the second hour, we are going to talk about pregnancy with a disability. But of course, if, if you're unable to get pregnant because of a physical disability that makes it too challenging, there are other options to have children. So I kind of want to start with Cynthia and her experience because she has a little boy who's going to be turning two in October. So um, I want to hear about your experience, how you had kids and how it all started. And you you can tell us all the details. Well, um, I have neurofibromatosis type one, which is a genetic condition. And um, if I were to have genetic children, my kids would have a 50% chance of also having NF. And you can't tell while the baby is still in utero what how severe the condition is going to be. So when I was 15 years old, I was told by a doctor who had suspected NF, but I wasn't officially diagnosed until much a few another for another few years that I shouldn't have kids. And um, when he told me that, I basically started bawling, crying in his office. And it was really, really hard for my mom to console me and and try to have me stop. So that was that. A bazillion years later, after I got married, I'm celebrating my 10th anniversary next week. And um, my husband and I uh, started looking into a pop 
other possibilities of becoming parents. And obviously the first thing that came to our minds was adoption. I actually had thought about adoption even long before I, I got married, uh, probably starting when I was in my early 20s. And I got married at like 30, going on 31. We started doing our research. Um, and then we realized that because of my other condition, epilepsy, I am actually unable to adopt from many countries. Uh, we looked into China first, just because I'm of Chinese heritage. There, uh, at least specifically said, said, if you have epilepsy, you are disqualified. Uh, the same issue was um, pretty much with almost all East Asian countries. Um, we also looked into Southeast Asian countries. Uh, we looked at Viet specifically Vietnam and the Philippines. Uh, the Philippines didn't have these health restrictions and neither did Vietnam, but the Philippines requires a letter from your priest. It requires like a letter from somebody who needs services at places of worship. And I don't go to church. I'm, I was, we were also a little bit worried that being interfaith, my husband is Jewish, could pose a problem. They will never say that to you directly, but I'm pretty sure we don't know how they would look at that. So we decided on Vietnam. That was a journey that didn't really work out for us. Uh, we were proposed a child who had... Because first of all, spe only special needs kids were available for adoption, and um, we were actually proposed a child, but her condition was not exactly something what we were able to handle. It sounds really cruel, but for people, but epilepsy, like seizures, can be can be triggered with stress, and uh, with her health condition, it could lead to a very stressful upbringing for her and for and for me as a mother. And Cynthia, can, if I can just interrupt for a second, the other thing is too, is that you also want to make sure that that child has the best possible scenario to be brought up. So when you're saying, you know, yeah. it, it sounds bad, but at the same time, you're also thinking about the child's welfare. Mm -hmm. The child needs a parent who is like fully able to be there and be on call. You know, when you, you know, you need your sleep, you need to be, you need to look out for yourself. So anybody who says, oh, you know, that doesn't sound good. Well, you kind of have to think about what's also best for the child. Exactly. And people are also asking me why we weren't con um, considering other countries, but it's, it's a long story. We're just worried a little bit about bias coming not from the quote-unquote mainstream community is it's easier sometimes I feel to for them to accept it but within her my heritage who for some weird reason are they, they tend to be a little bit more old-fashioned and they have very they can have I'm being general I'm, I'm generalizing here are very strong biases it's not just family though so um, in 2016 I saw an article in a newspaper in a national newspaper about surrogacy I was like whoa okay maybe we should look into that we started looking into um, fertility clinics and egg donation since I'm unable to use my own eggs and we were told that it would be very difficult to find an East Asian egg donor is because uh, there was a lot of pressure from the family, from these ladies' families not to quote unquote uh, spread their genes to strangers. So when we, that's what our, our fertility clinic told us. So we opted for an em a donated embryo, which basically means my son, we call Junior Mints online, is um, neither genetically related to me or to my husband. And after, uh, after four trips, transfers with our surrogate we finally had our little boy <laughs> hey. 
the one thing is that surrogacy is becoming more and more of a common option for people to have children if they can't carry themselves or if they're concerned about passing their genetics on. Fortunately, it is a little bit difficult, more difficult to navigate now with COVID as there are restrictions. You know, if your surrogate is not in your local area and you have to fly somewhere, you don't know if you're going to be allowed in. You don't, you're probably not going to be allowed in the hospital. So it does make it a little more complicated now. And lucky for you, Cynthia, this happened two years ago. So you didn't have to worry about COVID at the time. But, you know, that is one, that is one way. Now, what we have heard, again, like like Cynthia said, is that adoption, while it is an option, can sometimes be tricky. And I have heard about people like us not being allowed to adopt children because they're worried about death, for example. They're worried because I do have probably a higher risk of death than the average person. There are some very difficult things about adoption, and that this is something that you're going to hear from a lot of people is, okay, well, if you can't have your own natural kids, why can't you just adopt? And that's probably one of the most frustrating things to hear because, and especially by people in the infertility community, uh, if it were that easy, I would have adopted already. So, and I've, I've been guilty of saying it too. I said it to a friend of mine who's going through IVF about eight years ago when I didn't know any better. I was like, well, why don't you just adopt? Yeah, it's not that easy. No, because social workers might not put you as a priority. And if yeah. you're adopting a newborn domestically, the uh, birth mothers are the ones who pick you. And if they see, oh, one of the parents has a health condition, they might think, oh, mm, yeah. maybe not. Excuse me for not doing this, but I didn't introduce that Shiny is our guest again today. Uh, so <laughs> sorry, Shiny, I forgot to mention you have Join us again today with your brilliant expertise and your wonderful comments on all of our topics. So I'm glad to have you, uh, we're both glad to have you here today. No problem. Thank you for having me. An interesting thing is also cultural expectations from people's families around uh, having children and disability and sometimes being stigmatized for that reason. I know personally with me, that hasn't been a huge issue because with my parents, I mean, I come from a Jewish background. So I'm kind of the opposite of Cynthia. So I come from a Jewish background and my husband's Chinese. So we're kind of like a mirror image here. With my parents, it has always been, your health comes first. We don't care if we ever have grandchildren. It's interesting. Dennis's family has been that way too, because they know that my health isn't great. And they're like, if you don't have kids, that's fine. We just want you to be healthy and happy. And we're happy that Dennis is married. You know, it, it's, it's really nice that I'm getting, that I get that support from my in-laws as well. But I know for some people it can be difficult. So I'd like to hear from you guys kind of what is going on in like your cultural communities when you're like, oh, well, I can't necessarily have kids the normal way, or I don't know if I can have kids, or I don't know if I want kids or something like that. So, well, I'm South Asian, so I'm Sri Lankan Tamil. So in in our culture like we already have so much pressure to get married and they want you to get married young so you are able to have kids <laughs> so once you're married it's very like within a year if you're not pregnant people just start whispering and muttering that oh something's wrong they don't really look at the aspect of maybe you're just waiting or maybe you're you know living your married life they don't really assume that stuff but like as much as they talk badly and just suspect that something is wrong, people actually don't come forward and speak about it because there's a lot of stigma. Because in the past, back in the days, people have broken off marriages because mother-in-laws would be like, I'm not going to get a grandchild, so I'm going to get my son married to someone else. So there is a lot of stigma in the fact of being able to have a child to carry on their son's name. So it's always the woman who always got the backlash. When there's so much pressure into being able to having kids, it's kind of like when you have a disability or an infertility issue like myself, I have both, it's kind of hard dating and trying to get to know someone because in the back of their head is, well, my parents aren't going to be okay with the fact of, oh, being with someone who he has to quote unquote take care of and has to take care of the kids because my wife might not be able to have kids or 
be able to take care of them. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. So that's, there's a lot. And I think Sarah can add onto it too when uh, she speaks about her experiences with it. But there's just a lot of shaming and stigma and like people just don't understand. And they're just very nosy and want to know all the time, but don't understand that there can be issues around pregnancy and infertility. And they don't really look at the openness of if someone does have a disability, what are other ways that they could have a kid? It just, oh, they just kind of like X you off right away. They don't really give you any any chance of explaining yourself yeah i would say it's about this it's, it's the same like so i'm um my family's um indians so i'm from india it's sort of the same it's like okay so once you're married you know i got married a little bit later than what i guess the norm is normally you get married at the age of like 21 22 by 23 or 25 you already have your first child i got married at the age of 26 and I still don't have a child. Thankfully, my my mom and then my mom and dad have been very supportive for me and has not really put that pressure of like, okay, so you're married. When are you going to have your child? But I, I hear it a lot, especially when it's been like a couple years. Like, okay, when is everyone just kind of starts talking low-key? Oh, she's not pregnant. Like, I wonder what's going on. Like, um, is she not allowed to have kids? Or my aunt, actually, she has polio. And so when she got married and had a child, and went back home people were telling her or saying to her how did you have a child it was like what do you mean how did I have a child <laughs> so there's a lot of like <laughs> part, yeah like <laughs> yeah she was just like yeah she was you know like she's she's in a wheelchair she's you know very independent does everything I mean, her house is more, or, you know, cleaner than mine, or my room at least. <laughs> and, you know, she had two kids and they're like, how did you give birth to two children? And she was like, well, I gave birth to two children and look at my children. They're perfectly happy girls, but it's just a stigma. It's like, well, how are you going to have children? That's what she was told. And I think it was a bit of a down, you know, kind of made her upset or just um, whatnot. And then, you know, like, and she had two wonderful, healthy children. And then now, since she had two girls, this is the other thing, then her... Um, family not my side of the family per se but her family was like when are you going to have a boy so a lot in our culture yeah. is like okay if you have a daughter it's like when are you going to have a son or if you have a son okay when are you going to have a daughter so it's constantly like that I feel They're like that pressure pleased. that's on you just never please there's always something I find exactly exactly yeah there's there's if it's not one it's the other there's constantly one thing or another that's just kind of like I feel like on your head that you have to do to please the community and you know what and I think that Cynthia could probably relate to this a bit because when we were at my brother-in-law's Chinese wedding they got married two and a half years after we did and the funny thing was is that everybody was asking at that wedding like extended family who barely knew me when's the baby coming for us and it was just like, yeah. why do you care? You don't, you see me once a year. You say <laughs> exactly. hi to me. Why do you care exactly. if I'm pregnant or having a kid? Like, what does it matter to you? It's people are nosy. And that's, that's the other thing. And it's funny, Sarah, because you said that about your, your aunt. When she had me, my mom was always very underweight. Um, and she had a lot of like minor health issues and they all kind of combined to make her feel yucky. When, after she had me, her mother-in-law walked in and were like, so you had to have a C-section, right? You weren't strong enough to have a vaginal birth. And I think my mom was ready to punch them because my mom was yeah. in labor with me for 22 hours and she pushed me out. That kind of thing, it's like, ugh, it's really annoying. It, it, it is annoying because even like, quote unquote, normal want to have a natural birth, but then complications happen at the last minute and you have to have a, a C-section. Like even my aunt, she was hoping and they said, yes, you could potentially 
have a natural birth, but then she was in labor and things had to change and she ended up having to have a C-section. But it, it doesn't, I, to me, in, you know, in terms of just childbirth, it doesn't, I feel like it's not really a matter if you have a physical disability or not because complications and things happen and you have to do what's best for you and the child at that time and take everything into consideration. Yeah, it's not about strength. It's not, it's not at all about strength. It's about what's best for you, what's best for the baby. People are just, oh, you're not strong enough or oh, you just can't do this or oh, you're just like, you're just too weak and you don't wanna, you don't wanna give birth. And it's just, I, I think people also, people with disabilities are actually stronger because we're used to pain we know what it feels like so it's like what's a little bit more pain yeah it might be the worst pain we've ever had in our life but who cares culturally it's just i feel like we always have to please the family or the community in terms of like a child um having a child if you have a son then you have to have a daughter if you didn't have a natural birth then it's just they're just finding i feel like things or the family in general or our culture in general just find things to talk about and then if you like took an epidural because oh you know um you can't just take the pain and i think we're talking about as people with disabilities i feel like we are more or jackie was saying we are more um, resilient when it comes to handling pain and they say oh now you know i i hear a lot like the, the girls of this generation um just take the epidural they just want the easy way out but you know it, it can harm you in the long run that's also a, a, a myth because yeah. the truth is that especially for people who have disabilities that are serious and that can cause a life-threatening reaction they actually recommend that you be on an epidural because that'll keep your body in a calmer state so that you won't like give yourself a heart attack or something it's, it's a big myth it's like you're actually stronger if you ask say you know what i don't need to deal with the pain i know when my pain has reached its limit i want the drugs and i think that everybody was kind of like oh like you can't lean on drugs you have to do this you have to do that and no no you don't you don't you know if, if you're trying to put off some sort of image and yes people as i did say people with disabilities generally do t seem to be stronger and be able to take on more pain just because we've had more pain in our lives but that doesn't it doesn't mean oh well like just throw me into a, a, a beehive and let bees sting me like no it's not like that so you can ask for pain medication you can ask for medication to make you feel better if you're a high risk for example if you are carrying yourself and you're a high risk pregnancy doctors will do everything in their power to make sure that you stay safe and whereas i've heard for a lot of times with people who don't have disabilities it's more about making sure the baby's safe it kind of ignoring sometimes the mom so um and that's a really interesting thing and and that's something you don't necessarily see because I've, I've heard from different experiences from my friends who have disabilities versus the ones who don't have disabilities and their pregnancies have been very different so, if jackie you were talking about how your husband's family was being very nosy and asking yeah. you when you were having kids. I actually had zero from anybody in my family. You're lucky. Because, um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's because a lot of my family's been here a really long time or if they are just more integrated, but uh, they have not asked, they did not ask me anything. And, um, and out of all my cousins on my dad's side, there are seven of us first cousins, uh, only uh, about half of three of us have children and uh, two are, aren't, aren't married yet. And, and another uh, two, I don't know when they're having kids and I don't know if, even if they're having kids. Or and, it's I, not, and it's not your business if they're having no, kids. So I'm not going to exactly. ask them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's something that's kind of like, 
well, you know, to stop asking the question. And I remember when my mom said it, she would be like, well, I would never ask someone when they're having kids. That's so nosy. And I'm like, we have a mom. I said, you're not the norm. It's hard too, because, you know, again, disability or no disability, if you're a woman who's a millennial or a Gen Xer or what's Gen Z or whatever, the the expectations for you in life are generally higher. Like you're supposed to have a career. You're supposed to work. You're supposed to bring home, you know, 50%. Of the, of the family paycheck, you're still supposed to get married and you're still supposed to have children, but you're supposed to do all this other stuff too. Mm. And it's just a lot of expectations that people have on women, whether they're disabled or not. And that makes it really difficult. I think, I think also that a lot of times, I think people just ask and say things without not really realizing how the other um, person or people might feel when you ask that question. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, when are you having a baby? I think it's just so like it's such a norm thing and it's just like normal to just ask and know that you don't really you know the person asking it you don't really put any content behind it thinking like oh like what if that person is having fertility issues or maybe they're not able to conceive or they maybe they might have medical conditions and and you know you don't really counter in those factors when you ask like mm-hmm. I know like even I have done it to um, a friend uh, slash co-worker because I know she's been wanting to get pregnant and she's on a, a journey right now and whatnot and you know I'm like so you know like when am I becoming an or when am I you know when is that when is that baby come in but and then you kind of have to remind yourself like you know there it could be other things that you are not aware of mm-hmm. like I had to sit down my mom because like a lot of my close friends got married and stuff so she was like oh yeah so when are they getting pregnant like you know you should tell them like it's COVID everyone's staying home now like might be like a good time to get pregnant because then she can work from home and go through the pregnancy <clears throat> I had to sit down my mom and tell her like you know like you can't just assume and it's the culture that they grew up in but you just can't assume mm-hmm. that someone's married and like a kid's just gonna come because like from my experience and like what I've been told like I had to explain to my mom like had it been me who's married and god forbid like I'm trying and I can't get pregnant like that's hurtful for someone to ask you like oh how come you're not pregnant yet and that person is literally going back and going well I've been trying for x amount of years and it's not happening or what if someone had a miscarriage like you don't know what's going to get triggered from the questions you ask and I think a lot of people are just are not used to it especially like in our culture people just aren't aware because people never spoke up about miscarriages or infertility people just kind of quote-unquote anglo-christian mainstream anglo-christian culture like people are only beginning to talk about it mm-hmm. i think it's pretty pretty much like that in jewish culture as well with people are still, still the expectation when's the baby coming when's this happening when's that happening and maybe it's not as strong in like less religious communities versus uh the orthodox community i'm not religious myself so it never really like with my family but my family also i think was kind of told jackie may never have kids don't ask so they've never actually asked about everything that's why uh why uh my my family has never asked me i was wondering that too it's because oh well they know like does your family know about your disability though has your actually i don't know if they do yes maybe they maybe maybe they they do do. maybe they don't i don't think they do because uh nobody like i actually one of my cousins actually said i didn't know you had epilepsy wow but i think with my family too one of the reasons why they've never put pressure or ask is also because I was an only child and an only grandchild. So there's not a lot of kids in the family. My uncle and aunt, they never had kids on my mom's side. They always just had dogs and they were teachers. So it was like they had 30 kids at a time anyway. So what did it matter? And then um, on my dad's side of the family, he had
has three brothers, but like none of them had more than two kids each. Only one of them had two kids and like the rest of us were all onlys. Mm -hmm. It was a very, very small immediate family and just having babies just wasn't really, there were like very few babies in my family. Like it was very, very small. But so, when you're also with my family, the, at least with the grandparents, uh, there were communication issues with me. I'm maybe. <laughs> maybe. And that, and that, that is too, I think when there, when there are language barriers and stuff like that, it can be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because a lot of these factors, you think about it, a lot of these factors are the same, whether we would have disabilities or not. You're still going to get the family pressure. There is something that I do want to add before we go to our next episode that I think is really important to know and, and kind of is a good segue into the next episode is the fact that when we talk about surrogacy and adoption and all that, and that can be a whole separate topic at another time because that has complications itself. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my surrogacy journey at the beginning of the next episode, but wanting your own biological children is not selfish. No. I think that's something that a lot of people try to tell people with disabilities who could pass on. They're disability to children is that why would you want to do that to a future child it's not that. a selfish thing <laughs> yeah like and I imagine that that doctor back when you were 15 was probably thinking well why would she ever want to have kids that's being selfish it's not and I think it's a different mindset in our generation is that first of all kids born with disabilities today the outlook is so different from when we were born yeah um, very very mm -hmm. different so different from even when I got diagnosed to now which is only nine yeah. years ago exactly right? um yeah. I was I mean like that doctor told me not to have kids back it was like the 90s and IVF was not as advanced so even yeah. if I were to have my own genetic children myself carrying myself or with a surrogate uh, we could easily get uh, get testing done testing before done. the transfer and that's just it is that today there's so many different I don't think that that doctor would have the same answer for you today as he did no. back then oh. completely different yeah. they, if, if you said to a doctor Cynthia if you go to a doctor now you and you said I want to have kids they would say okay let's look at how we can make that happen and yeah. it's and very woman would have would have been yeah. more sympathetic exactly old guy. i mean if, he, if he's an old guy he's probably not going to be very sympathetic no. um it's a bit of a different mindset but i know for example with me i have a one in 20 chance of passing on my heart condition to a biological child that is okay for some they may view that as high but it's also the fact that kids who have what i have today are treated immediately and they can live the rest of their lives not even knowing they had a heart condition mm -hmm. whereas with me i was the first generation that lived basically i was the first generation that lived Lived, and lived an okay life like without having to basically be at the hospital every other day so you know it, it is different now and for a lot of these things and the other thing is too is that with saying okay well how why would you want to pass on your disability to a child is my life all that bad like yeah, you know so like if you if so for sarah and, and shiny if if you had a kid and your kid was born and they had a visual impairment are you going to be like oh your life's gonna suck no it's funny because i recently had someone comment under one of my recent posts asking like can I ask you, like, do you ever have the question of, like, are you okay to possibly pass down this eye disease to your children? But I think for me, like, I have a genetic eye disease, but they haven't been able to figure out what the gene mutation is. I've gone into gene testing about, like, three times now over the past nine years. They haven't been able to figure it out. But with the same gene counselor, like, when I do get into a relationship, me and my partner will go into family planning. They will test both of us. They will see what are the chances of us passing on, like, my eye disease and God knows if we figure out if he has anything. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the other thing too is that the, uh, the partner who might be 
be like totally not, not have a disability. They yeah. could be the one that passes something on. You My never know. My parents both don't have a disability and I have one. I have two siblings. They're perfectly fine. You know what I mean? Like the possibilities, like my parents had a child just like everyone else, but it came out that I have a disability. But in this case, I'm going to be more proactive because I do know I have a genetic eye disorder. So me and my partner will go through gene testing and family planning and make the appropriate decision based on our results. Like, but the thing is, I don't think my life is bad. <laughs> no, and I think Sarah, you wanted to... I'm conceited, but I really don't my life no and Sarah I know you were gonna add something I don't think my life is bad and I am totally okay having a child that has a visual disability because my eye condition is also genetics I actually do know the gene mutation that has caused um, my eye condition and you know there is lots of research and things going on right now I've even been part of a research trial when I do have a child and if it does have a visual disability and if it has the same one I do then things are always happening there's always research and things happening and but the chances are very low for my child to um, have the same visual disability as I do I have two brothers and they're both perfectly fine I'm the eldest and I have two younger brothers and they have uh, no disability at all and I was gonna say um, before we wrap up this part of the uh, episode do any of you think that in many ways that there is some guilt from your own parents especially if your parents were healthy, that we had a child with a disability and therefore we don't want you to repeat like the same mistake, quote unquote. Do you think there's any of that in your families? I'm really unsure. My family, well, my parents don't seem to fit the quote unquote traditional or stereotypical Chinese or Hong Kong um, immigrant family. And uh, they, they like kanji. They like kanji. They so. do like kanji. <laughs> I don't like kanji. Um, but uh, but it, it probably has to do with, I, I, you know what? Never mind. I don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to go that whole thing. That's, like that's like a whole off, off episode yeah. kind of thing. Uh, but um, yes. but they, they said, we're fine with whatever you do. And um, they they never said directly, and I never really felt that they um, didn't want that they felt guilty at all. Okay, I don't know what the rest of it is. They're protective of me, but I don't know if that's 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 considered being guilty. It honestly, it could be a little bit, but at the same time, they also want to protect you because you're their daughter. So yeah, and I'm the only kid. (laughs) Exactly, and I'm also an only. So it's very much like that with my parents, and I think you know, partially with my parents, they worry that I didn't have a good enough life and I have told them that they gave me the most incredible life ever yeah it would have been easier if I didn't have a heart condition not gonna lie but I wouldn't change anything anything even like the years of my life that I had my health was basically in the toilet I wouldn't change those years because there were still amazing experiences that came out of all of that and so I thought I had an amazing childhood despite you know being in the hospital every few weeks despite tests all the time and medications and going in for heart surgery I thought my childhood was awesome. Maybe that was partially because I was an only child, so I didn't have to share my voice. <laughs> um, but, you know, my parents did what they absolutely could for me, and they did amazing things. I never felt like, yeah, when I was a teenager, things got awkward, and I think that's when everybody gets awkward for everyone, right? When, like, you start to feel like you're a bit of an outsider, but my home life was perfect. I mean, my parents even had a pool in the backyard. I was like, I have a pool! Like, I never took anything for granted, and because of my health conditions, my mom would like surprise me with certain things like when I was when I was eight years old uh, before my second open heart operation she surprised
surprised me with a trip down to what was then the Sky Dome, which is now Rogers Center, to meet my favorite Toronto Blue Jays players. Oh, nice. nice. And that was at the time. So we're talking about 1993, which was a World Series year. Whoa. So I got to meet my favorite player in the world, who was Joe Carter. <laughs> Look at Cynthia's face. Um, I was such a huge fan of his. Like, I was just, and he actually sat me on his lap. And here I was, eight and a half years old, and he's, like, signing my autograph book, and he's telling me stories. And I'm, like, this little kid, like, just, like, it's like sitting on Santa's lap, except I'm Jewish, so I don't sit on Santa's lap. But <laughs> but it was kind of like that, and it's funny, because it was so long ago now, but that, like, later that year, he hit the World Series winning home run. And we kept in touch for years after That's that. amazing. Wow. He, he came over to my house for dinner when I was 12. He uh-huh. actually came. My mom cooked for him. My mom cooked for a professional athlete that was known across Canada. But uh, I actually spoke to him as recently as two years ago. And so, like, all these things wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been born with the heart condition. I, I, I got to be friends with World Series winning baseball player Joe Carter. Like, that's pretty cool. Not gonna lie. Really cool. I'm jealous. <laughs> really cool. <laughs> that's pretty cool. And, then, and there's been other things. So, I mean, I don't feel like my childhood was that bad. Yeah, for me, like, I only found out when I was, like, after I was done college, I started working in my field, right? So, uh, I was 21. So, like, for the most part, like, I didn't grow up knowing I had a disability. We just thought I was a clumsy person. <laughs> like, I that's okay. Like, but I used to play sports and stuff, and I was actually like, I used to play soccer, and I was really good at it too. But like, I got injured at the age of twelve because I didn't see a girl coming at me. So now it made sense later. <laughs> it made sense, yeah. So it made sense later, but like for the most part, like I, like I know, like your question, like do our parents feel guilty? Like I think for my parents, they come from a country where like a lot of the families were displaced because of war and stuff. So like medical history files aren't a thing, right? So like they couldn't really know about their history of their family to really give me answers if like this person from back then had any sort of eye disease so they that part of them they felt bad because they couldn't add more to the family tree to help us figure out where it could have came from because like even from genetic testing we couldn't figure it out like where from my parents side like where it could have come from I'm glad you brought that up too because it's you know it's a it's a different thing for me because my family's been in Canada for many for Mm -hmm. at least two generations now so um, my, my dad's my dad's parents were born in Canada and my mom was born in Canada, but my grandparents were not. But so uh, yeah, I don't have, that's an interesting point that you bring up. Yeah. yeah. So since I was born in, you know, like a couple of weeks after they bought me home, they started, my mom or I think her aunt started noticing that, you know, there's something going on with my aunt just because my mystagmus was really bad and I was apparently also cross-eyed. And so I think my mom sort of went through uh, guilt that, you know, that she has a child with a disability. She also had me when she was really young, like at the age of 21. So she didn't really have much support, I think, um, as well. So I think just the whole process of her having me at the age of 21 and, and going through all of it and not really having all the supports, not really knowing what kind eye condition I have and all of that was overwhelming for her and I think that's why the guilt sort of came in and then I think it was gone and I think when I kind of hit teenager sort of came back where in certain things that were kind of said indirectly um because me and my middle brother are 18 months apart so you know I do get like you know I, w- I was too focused on making sure that you can have a quote-unquote normal and, and healthy life that she w- my younger brother kind of got pushed to the side 
and you know just being at the doctors and going to this appointment and that appointment and going here and there and constantly just being around in the medical field if not in the school things like that um but other than that i had a to be honest a really average child um hood i was never treated differently that is one thing that i guess both of my parents kind of decide or what went that we're not going to just treat her differently just because she has a disability um especially in culture if you have a disability you're kind of like treated very babyish and you're very sheltered Mm -hmm. um but that was not me like I was always allowed to go out and do things with my friends and you have chores doesn't matter if you have a disability or not you're gonna have to find a way to get your chores done (laughs) I actually like that kind of parent (laughs) yeah and then like uh, one thing I do want to add um to kind of what we were saying before it's like if you have a disability and if you want to have a child if you know what is gonna the challenges are from beforehand of raising that child and finding ways to make it doable then it, it's fine because a lot of times when you know we're kind of saying like people well how can you have a child if you have a disability but it's like well how do I do everything else with my disability so it's hmm. just trying to find all those adaptive ways to raise your child to the best yeah. of your ability that you can because like for our parents it was the first time that they dealt with having a child with disability but for us we grew up with this disability we knew the roadblocks that we had to go through we knew what worked and what didn't so if our kids do end up having the disability that we do have we are already one step ahead because we will know what we did and what we didn't do and science will hopefully be a lot better by the time our kids are older too right so like i feel like it's a whole different ball game going forward this is a very uplifting conversation i was also born like my aunt was also because my aunt got diagnosed with polio at the age of two and then you know um they, they migrated to Canada I think so they already had someone with a different disability and and was trying to give her a normal life um living in Canada so my dad obviously like you know you're he's thankful that he had me and that he is living in Canada because if I was back home things would be so much more different and I don't yeah. think I would be where I yeah. am today so. yeah 100% agree with Sarah well, I, I think we were going to talk about how having wanting to have kids is not a selfish thing. And yeah. uh, wanting to have, regardless of how you have kids, it's not selfish just because we have certain conditions. Yeah. So. And so, yeah, and, and in the next episode, which you're going to see about a week apart from this one, you will learn more about what it's like to actually be pregnant with a disability, which is a whole other ball game because that brings up a whole bunch of issues in itself. But I want to thank all of you today for, your amazing opinions and I felt like that last little bit of this conversation has been so uplifting and like so hopeful about like well we know what to do we've been through it Uh, I really hope that that brings a lot of people you know who are watching this who want to have their kids whether surrogacy adoption or their own biological children I hope that brings them hope knowing that you know what or yeah exactly carrying yourself or carrying yourself or anything or yeah you can use you can you can have an egg donor and carry yourself there's so many ways to have children the only thing that we don't advocate for is stealing a baby off the street. That's probably not a good idea. Uh, the other thing is too, you don't want kids? Get a dog. Get a cat. You know, you can still be a dog parent or a cat parent if you want. So, you know, there's you can still have the responsibility to care for a living Or not baby. do anything at all. Or just enjoy your life without a pet. Or get a fish. They're really easy because they die quickly as I know from experience. Yeah, they, my fish has been dying for like the last two months and we don't know. It's like you can't take a fish to the vet. So it's like, what do you do? You know? Sure you can't. <laughs> 
I do know someone, they got him medication, but it didn't save his life and he still died. Oh, no. Thanks, everybody, for bringing your thoughts today. We want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. You're going to see us in about another week. In the next part of this episode, of course, for us, it's going to be five minutes from now because we're just going to keep going. But uh, we will give you another episode in a week, and this will be all about pregnancy and disability, which, as I mentioned, is a whole other ballgame. So thank you, everybody, for your uh, thoughts today and your amazing insight. You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) We will see you on part two of Yes, We Can Have Kids Too.